Hey, I'm Corey, and we're going to be chatting about the movies. Meet up at the movies. It's an annual event. It takes place August 1st, and we are going to be talking with the guy who filmed the concert back in June 17th, 1991. That's Lindell Amico. Every stadium tour was madness. It was just controlled madness. The crowds and the scene outside, and I loved it. Also, we're going to be talking with the group who is making this year's meetup at the movies go worldwide. We create communal experiences and cinemas across the world where we unite fans with their favorite apps. So when we're talking about music, it could be fans of, of various bands through the years and, and current to affirmation type programs, aspirational programs, sporting events films, documentaries, etc. That's Kimberly Free with Trafalgar releasing. I'm the Senior Vice President of Programming and Content Acquisitions for North America. And Tommy Nast, and I'm Senior Programming Director and Music Strategies for North America for Trafalgar releasing. Although this is the first year Trafalgar releasing is hosting this year's meetup at the movies, Kimberly has experienced putting the Grateful Dead up on the big screen. Well, it's not really year one for us. Um, we were on the launch team and it was a brainchild of me plus Rhino some nine years ago. We saw something magical when fans got together to meet up in cinemas and we decided that we were going to create annual events together. So when I was at Fathom, that became the Grateful Dead annual meetup. And then when I transitioned to Trafalgar last year, we started talking about the potential to take it out globally, which is something that Trafalgar could do but Fathom was never able to do. And now it's incredible with the capabilities and the potential the Grateful Dead could do. Just last year, this is what Trafalgar releasing achieved with one of their showings. It was the top grossing for music cinema events. Going back to Lindell Amico, the giant stadium show that we're about to watch on the big screen, it actually was involved with something very spectacular on the little screen. Here comes 91, and somebody else wants to do a dedicated to the Rainforest TV show. It wasn't a dead show. They contributed three songs, but we had at least, I think, something like three, more than three million eyeballs. Three million sets of eyeballs. It was the most watched event that the dead were in. Now, for those of you interested in the music cinema event that Trafalgar Releasing did that broke records, we go back to Kimberly Free. We went out to over 80 territories worldwide with the event called BTS Burn the Stage, which is the Korean pop band. And it was the top selling music event, cinema event of all time, grossing well over $18 million. Whether dealing with the Grateful Dead or BTS, but especially dealing with the Grateful Dead and their fans, the audio quality can be a concern. So we throw that to Tommy Nast. The bands are pretty much audiophiles to begin with. And I think when we come to them with DCP delivery. A DC what? Which is a digital content package. Obviously, this portion is for the audio geeks. It assures them... Which I'm totally into. It assures them the most pristine, top-of-the-line audio quality that they're going to be able to get. So bands who really care about how their music sounds are going to love the fact that 
we can deliver it via DCP, assuring them the best quality. For the quality of visuals, Lynn Delamico, he shares some really interesting insight on a band meeting they had to discuss the video equipment. Spring 87, it's clear we're going to be touring with Dylan in stadiums. And they said, so Len, you're going to present us in two weeks, come to the meeting and present your budget package, your thoughts about that. And I did that and showed up at the meeting. It was just the band and me and a manager or a bookkeeper, I forget. So I said, well, here, you know, here's the rundown. It's roughly going to be this much money per show. And uh, this is the low and this is the high and this is the average. And, and uh, the screens will look like this. In 87, we didn't have any LED or any, you know, it was incredibly primitive. So I laid it out and they were looking at the charts and stuff. And Garcia usually would smoke. You know, he used to drag on cigarettes. It was scary. And he said, well, is this the best recording that can be made? And I said, well, no. Why would you do that? This is just for the screens that's in a stadium. And then there was like a pause, like, oh, no, wait a minute. (laughs) No, we want the best. And so I'm thinking, okay, oh, yeah, right. They're, They're Grateful Dead. They want the best of everything. And it doesn't matter what the purpose is. I was just like spinning my wheels. I'm like, oh, well, why? And and Jerry looked around and they didn't really talk about it in public. That is in front of me. But I later figured out that there, there, he said something like, we're going to put all this stuff on the shelf. And I was like, oh, so we're making future product here. That's what we're doing. We're not just you know, putting video for the nosebleeds, we're, we're, we're putting, we're making future product. And who would have thought that that future product would be the film we are going to watch August 1st of 2019, but back to 1987. So I came back the next week and I said, this is, you know, more cameras, higher quality recording, the best technicians, the best cameraman, all of that. And, and I said, yeah, now you're talking, this is what we want. And as a result, 33 years later, people go to theaters and look at one of these tapes that, that was made for the screens. Lynn says that if the band didn't make that crucial decision, which made him come back with an increase of expenses by 100 to 200 percent, if they didn't make that decision, we wouldn't be watching any dead shows at the cinemas. Without that, what you'd have would not really be watchable. share numerous stories about Garcia and the band meetings, it's easy to see how much the band cared for the fans. This tradition still runs deep with Meet Up at the Movies. I think to the Grateful Dead, they kind of set the bar also of the band that has such a great 
love relationship with their fan base. This is really the fans event and it's their meetup. And here we are in 2019 and their fans are still coming out and supporting the music that they did in the past and even, you know, the different incarnations of, of of who's joined the dead over the years. It's phenomenal to see. And I would just add that they, you know, it's legions of fans across many generations and very few bands really have that multi-generational audience where, you know, you've got college kids today that are just, that were introduced to Grateful Dead from their parents and now they've become mega fans. And that's really exciting to see that. And that's what's so great about going to the cinema and seeing the eclectic audience and the diversity that that they really represent. One thing, you take care of your fans in terms of the way they can get tickets through the mail, newsletters. Uh, There seems to be a love, a genuine love for the fans of the Grateful Dead from the band. Yeah, well, they're paying the rent, you know? I mean... uh, they're the ones who keep this happening as much as we are, you know what I mean? They, they, so they've, they've invented us just like we've invented them in a way. I mean, you know, it's, it's a mutual, there's a mutual thing happening there. I mean, it, it, uh, but that's true with every band, really. It's just whether or not the band chooses to deal with it or not. Really, it's, I mean, you don't exist without your audience. It's that simple, really. So, I mean, our audience has, has been uh, particularly giving uh, in that they, they aren't, it's not like a showbiz audience, you know. What I mean, the, the 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 they come as much to for the to be there and enjoy each other probably, as as for any specific concert. I mean, they don't come to hear us do our hits. You know, we don't have any hits. You know, we, <laughs> they they come to hear us do whatever we're going to do, and or to try stuff, or to to hear something new, or to hear us do old stuff, or to hear us hear us even have a bad night. You know, sometimes. And it's still the the experience is still rewarding for them for reasons that may not have anything to do with the music, but just the idea of being someplace and celebrating their own existence or something like that. times when we had fans um, reach in, we would reach into the vault and would give them maybe four options and then they would vote on which concert they wanted to see and then, you know, whichever one had the most votes was the one that we we showed. So there's a lot of engagement and interaction with the fans on on these meetups. To no surprise, every so often fans speak out and ideas for the showing gets added or removed. And we used to add, you know, 12 minutes or 15 minutes of content. We would reach into the vault and we might find an interview or something really cool. And what we found is just get to the concert. What we thought was making it more special. They were like, nope, we just really want to see the concert. So can you get rid of that value add or can you put it somewhere else? Kudos to Rhino. They really listened to that. You know, I think that the concert's special enough. And with the fans, that's that's what they want to see. This is really about the fans getting together to celebrate. And we want to make sure that the energy of the fans is is really the most important and that it is a great fan experience. So we're not going to open up on, you know, 2000 screens this first year. We're going to test market, see how it goes. But we also have the ability to expand based on demand. 
For the worldwide fans, this is definitely a treat. Trafalgar releasing broke it down to what this means for Meet Up at the Movies. We also know that there's expats and, and others around the globe that are Grateful Dead fans and deadheads that really wanted to see it. And now we're able to take it out on a global scale, which is really the next iteration of the annual meetup. And I think it's safe to say, and Kimberly, you can punch him in the arm if you want, that Kimberly provided Rhino and the Grateful Dead estate and the team a great comfort level this year in how it's it's evolved you know with her expertise and her hands-on over the years so that was an important element well and i would just say we all made a great team you know we we all worked well together um and when we had the chance to really expand it and create something new um in the ninth year leading up to the 10th this was the year to do it i think the most important thing is really to ensure that it's a great fan and brand experience we don't want to open up too wide and have empty auditoriums so this year is really going to be the first year of, of really testing some of these global markets and making sure that we're opening opening up the right amount of screens. So you may see us, you know, opening up at a little narrower than we normally would, and then basically adding screens based on demand because we want it to be packed auditoriums and a, a great experience. We may not open up the biggest theater in that town or the largest screen, but we do have cinemas that have screens as small as, what, 35, 50 seats. So it may make sense for them to, to be able to cater to that audience, especially when we're talking about a weeknight event. Listeners have reached out to me with questions like, how exactly do the logistics work? Is it an online feed that uh, the theater gets? Is it delivered like a regular movie? Uh, one question that I was easy, easily able to answer for myself was for the people who want to have a meetup at the movies in their backyard, this is meetup at the movies, not meetup in your backyard. So here's what a theater gets. A lot of times it's delivered like a regular film, which is a DCP. The best way to describe it is like a hard drive that it's plug and play in the cinemas. We also have a live network where we can also deliver live if it makes sense. But the challenge with that is that you're crossing so many time zones on a global scale. It's really hard um, to deliver live. Going back to the pioneer days, Lindell Miko talked about the technology that he used to film the giant stadium concert. Some of this equipment without intense air conditioning, it just dies. So, so that was something you had to really think about. You know, if I was in a truck, I'd crank the sound so loud that, you know, I've had people threaten to quit on me. And I'm like, look, this is rock and roll. 
I'm, I can yell into my microphone. You can hear me. Don't be scared. Eventually, Lynn was moved out of the truck and inside the venue and station where Dan Healy, who provided the sound mix, and Candace Brightman, who directed the lights. This also allowed Lynn to be in the middle of the madness of rock and roll. It was liberating because it was the excitement out there. It was so, I mean, you know, what the sound men and women and, and the lighting men and women you know, it's right in your face. You're right in the middle of it, and you can't help but respond to it and uh, try to feed it. Constantly growing with success, the equipment started growing in size. Eventually, the equipment and personnel were moved to a tower. Not a tower! Or as Lynn likes to say, it wasn't a tower. <laughs> it was not a tower. It was just a little a little structure. Lynn Del Mico's sense of humor really shines through with this next story involving a deadhead and this, quote, little structure. So you're surrounded in chain link fence when you're out there. And, you know, some people were frightened by that, but I, I like the fans. They're not going to hurt you. And uh, somebody's, somebody gestures to me and says, look over here. And I went behind the equipment racks, and there was a guy climbing up the chain link. Uh, and I looked around for security, and there was nobody there. There's supposed to be somebody within the chain link, you know, a ring of them. And this guy, he got to the top, and I'm looking around, and he leans over towards the equipment and extends his hand into the back of a rack where there's, you know, a lot of juice. Uh, not to mention, you know, destroying what we were doing or whatever. And I didn't know what to do. And uh, he had one hand on the edge of my platform and the other hand heading for the electronics. And I put my the front of my toes on his hand, the hand on the deck. And I was yelling at him, go back, go back. And he looked at me, you know, high as a kite. He's like, oh, you want me to go back? How's this? And he just swung both his hands over his head and fell backward onto the chain link. You know, you know that sound it makes, bang, 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 bang. And the somersaulted back into the crowd. And by the time the show was over and I got backstage, I'm like, so Len, you kicked somebody off your, your, your deck, huh? You kicked him in the teeth, huh? <laughs> like, no, not at all. Not even close. I, I didn't try to hurt this guy. I, if I didn't, I hadn't done that, he'd probably be electrocuted, you know? It was crazy, crazy scene. Um, but the, the shows turned out great. incident and shows that Lindell Miko's talking about took place at Giant Stadium in 91, the show for Meet Up at the Movies. So when we're watching the show, be sure to be on the lookout for Lynn and his tower. <laughs> it was not a tower. It was just a little, a little structure. Something else to be on the lookout for on the screen is Lynn's crew. He gave a lot of kudos to his team that worked that giant stadium show. Once I got the word about, you know, the best, that was the green light to recruit the best. 
And so I had developed a crew in New York. The cameramen and women work with me over and over and over. I mean, a lot. And so we developed our own visual language. And I sort of explained to them what it looks like when you're looking at 10 monitors. Uh, they knew what to do. And it was like playing an instrument. And uh, by the way, you know, this, this show on August 1st, all over the country and all over the world, the camera operators included Celeste Rufo and Joe Ippolito. Jay Kulik and, and Dave Driscoll were also veterans. And then I had uh, uh, John Michael John, James Goldsmith, Michael Jiraki, and Jim Chavella. But some of those guys were second unit. It was a team. When it was happening, it was magical. It was just... There's a relationship that when the band was firing on all cylinders, so were we. When you didn't have deadheads crawling up the uh, scaffolding to the tiny structure, he breaks it down a little bit. It was really cool to hear him talk about what it was like in the heat of the battle. You're looking at a minimum of five screens corresponding with five angles, right? Maybe, maybe up to ten. And you arrange them in front of you in a way that you're used to. And then what you do, it's a conveyor belt. The big screen in front of you is what's hot, is what's going out to the satellite or going to the main recorder. To the left is the next shot. So you get a shot up and then you say, all right, what's the next shot going to be? And you scan the 10 monitors and pick one and you tell that guy, camera four, your preview. That means you're next. So he doesn't, he stops wiggling around and searching around and gets ready to, and then it's like, and boom, take camera four. Now four is on the big monitor, and now immediately I have to find the next camera that's gonna be preview. So it's like a conveyor belt. And, and you know, you'll notice, well, I haven't used camera 10. Why not? That I should show all these different beautiful angles. And then you tell the cameraman, look, if, you, if there's something you want me to see, Snap your zoom in and out real fast. That will grab my eyeball over to your monitor or just rock it up and down real fast. <laughs> so you get the camera operators are competing. You know, I got a great shot. I got a great shot. And so you, you can't lose, basically. Some moments, just like a lot of Grateful Dead experiences, they cannot be explained. So when the band got fired up, the chase was on. And I took off chasing them, and my people took off chasing me. I'll watch something that we did. These are unedited, completely unedited. I look at some of the things, I'm like, how the hell did that cameraman know to be there for that edit? Because he just knew that at this moment, Boom, there he was. That uniquely undescribable Grateful Dead experience is caught on film. For this 91 show, what stands out first off is this is going to be the first time you have two keyboardists on the big screen. That's Bruce Hornsby and Vince Welnick. Seeing the band, who were the best improvisers there were, try to, oh, well, now we've got two keyboards. How, did, how is this going to work? You know, in the Dead, the, uh, the keyboard player was a colorist. It definitely changed the uh, dynamic. Because now you had uh, two colorists. What they worked out was what I call New Age Dead. And it was uh, ethereal, jazzy. But this Dead with the two keyboards was kind of New Agey because 
Garcia essentially had to step back a little bit to allow room for two keyboards. That's basically how it settled out. So the show we're going to see on August 1st, it's a different sound, it's, it's, and it's great. And they had a chance to remix it. Uh, when when we, we had to edit those two shows into a one-hour special for ABC. That's right, some deadheads are going to have flashbacks because portions of this concert was aired on TV. Some people put out a record called Dedicated. And it was a, I think it was the first compendium of dead covers by, by a variety of artists, including uh, Indigo Girls, Suzanne Vega, Lyle Lovett, etc. You can get the CD. There's been several since. But they wanted to dedicate it to the rainforest. And Len, we want you to do a video show that will be unique and give all the money to these charitable organizations. brings up Phil Daguerre. Who was a deadhead, an old friend of the band's, a wonderful man. And uh, he, he came to me and said, uh, hey, I'm producing this ABC show once a week, and uh, do you want to do it? And I said, well, I'll ask the band. Jerry had recently, at the previous meeting, had retired from being in charge of film and video. He was sick of it. Too much work. And uh, I was at that meeting, and I said, well, wh who of you guys am I going to answer to then? And it was Phil. So Phil was the new guy in charge of uh, offers in, in film and television. So I called him up and uh, he said, well, what does Jerry say? And I said, <laughs> remember, it's you now. I haven't talked to him. He said, we'll go find out what he thinks, you know. After this proposal went back and forth and after the wild goose chase ended, the band ultimately rejected the idea. And I said, fine. And then the, the management came back and said they changed their mind. So I called up Phil. We're, it's on. So we got more money and more cameras and, you know, made it look like appropriate. And that thing was broadcast on. See, and this is what's really cool about talking with Lindell Amico. He, he, everything that he filmed for the band, he either has copies of or he even just has the masters. Stand by. I have the box here. Oh, my God. I just, I just dropped you. <laughs> as, as for that broadcast date okay so that that was broadcast july 5th 91 and i know there are people out there who recorded this off the air so this added a whole new level of uh, tension now dropping those reels is is kind of humorous because it's really minimal compared to what could have happened to the Masters. So we're packing out of Giant Stadium on uh, the morning of the 18th, and uh, the my co-producer, Alan Newman, was shipping all the tapes. I'm like, so this is all what's going to happen. We're going to ship all this back to San Francisco, and we're all going to go there. We're going to relax for a few days, and I've got us booked into the Four Seasons, some really nice hotel. And uh, we're going to have editing equipment there, and we're going to do it offline, and then we're going to do it online, and then we're going to send it to ABC. 
And we get to San Francisco, and, and there's no tapes. And uh, Alan gets on the phone. I'll fix this. Don't worry. And then it's like they don't know where they are. All of them, every single thing, all of the, all of it was in the shipment, and it's just gone. And I'm like, that, that's impossible. This is FedEx. Come on. Even then, they had a good reputation, you know. And, and the tension, it was just horrible because we were in TV Guide. The they were running ads on the network, you know, tune in for the dead, blah blah blah, and uh, we got nothing. I was with Alan and uh, Larry Lackman, who was a head of special effects for video, and it was just the three of us doing, we're going to do the edit, instead we're just rotting in this four-star hotel, and I'm like, I guess I have to call ABC and tell them that we don't have anything, and they both go, yeah, you have to, and I said, if I do that, they're just going to pull out and, and start running you know an ad for some movie or something and they're like yeah and i'm like that's a disaster <laughs> that we can't have that we'll, we'll get the tapes after two solid days of absolute torture i never sweated like that before they showed up middle of the night we, we went out there in a stretch limo to oakland airport went through the barbed wire gates swung open and the garage door to this huge warehouse opens like to entering you know star wars and you cruise in there and uh all the floors are giant ball bearings so a man is walking by pushing a container that weighs two tons just with his hand and that container is going to fit into a jet and they brought out this set of boxes and said is this it and we're like yeah that's it thank you very much so then we had to do our edits with no time, and uh, no one knew the better except us. The June 91 Giant Stadium show is going to be in theaters worldwide for the first time, thanks to Lindell Amico. Four of the dead shows, three of which are mine, are, are streaming as we speak on Amazon. You can also watch Lindell Amico's film, Welcome to Dopeland, August 1st, which is also Jerry Garcia's birthday. That is going to be Meet Up at the Movies with Trailfogger releasing. It's a fun project. It's probably one of our favorite projects to work on because there is so much involvement from the fans. Mm-hmm. 